Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk again about the Kingdom of God. We're going to talk about the Kingdom of God in relationship to, I guess you would say, uh, original sin. What was original sin? Man was going to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What does that mean? It means he was going to decide for himself what was right and what was wrong. He was going to use his own capacity, his personal capacity, to decide what was true and what was not true. What was a value, what was not a value. What was a danger and what might be your salvation. What might save you. You know, should I eat this? Should I eat that? Should I do this? Should I do that? And... uh That's really a quandary for us all and has been a quandary for us all from the beginning, from the first moment where we get to start making choices for ourselves. When we're born, do I breathe? Do I not breathe? Do I suck? Do I not suck? Uh, How do you know what to do? What, What is driving you? What is guiding you? Well, there's a certain amount of built-in guidance in our physical bodies. That draw us towards, you know, warmth and, and food and, uh, you know, shelter, whatever it is that, uh, we think is going to continue our life, protect our life, enhance our life. And we continue to make those choices, you know, do I go to this university? Uh, do I go to a trade school? <laughs> I mean, these are choices that we're constantly making. And what is guiding us in those choices? Well, Often it's the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, the flesh being your physical body and your physical inclinations. Do I go out with this girl? Do I marry that girl? You know, uh, do I marry that guy? Do I have anything to do with that guy? These are choices you have to make, and there are lots of things influencing those choices. But what should be influencing those choices is the tree of life. We might call the tree of life uh, our access to the Holy Spirit of life, to the spirit of life. Christ was the spirit of life. I am the light. I am the life. What he's talking about is this this inner guiding influence that man seems to have access to. It's uh, his spiritual instinct, we'll call it. Uh, we can call it a lot of things, but... Uh, that guiding of the Holy Spirit, even the Ten Commandments were really not ten laws as much as it was ten guidelines telling you when you were on the path, when you were off the path. If they were just laws, they would say, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. This this is the penalty that's going to take place. When in reality, the penalty is already built into nature by God, the God of nature, the God who created heavens and earth. And so if you stray from those guidelines, bad things are going to happen. And so he, we, they were put down in writing so that you would get something to kind of look at intellectually with that mind of yours that is trying to decide what is good and evil. And those guideposts are saying you don't want to decide things like 
let's kill people. You don't want to decide things like let's steal things. You don't want to decide things that would be amount to let's covet thy neighbor's goods. Because when you start going down those roads, those paths, those ways, you will be changed. You will be altered. If you turn around and go the other way in your thinking, you think, I I shall not covet. I do not want to covet. I do not want to steal. I do not want to kill or injure my neighbor. Well, then that choice will take you down another path and another direction. And one, you know, all roads lead to Rome. All roads lead to Babylon. All roads lead to the kingdom of God. It's just about direction. Which way are you going on those roads? So, we're going to talk a little bit about health and healing, uh, genetics and epigenetics, spiritually and physically. And the reality of, uh, you know, the, the toxicology of life on the world, in the world today. And life of the world today. If your life is of the world. See, now there's a difference there. We were to live in the world, but not of the world. What did Jesus mean by that? What what did Jesus mean by a lot of things? Everybody says, I believe in Jesus. What Jesus? The Jesus that you imagine to be the Jesus of the Bible? The Jesus that you're told about in your church or that church or whatever church you go to? the The Jesus that you imagine from reading the Bible in English? Based on your understanding of history, your understanding of words, your understanding of what was going on back there at the time that the early church and the Gospels were being written. Those understandings can be affected greatly by previously uh, given information you know, imposed upon your thinking so that when you think, oh, Jesus did this, you know, like, why did he say, call no man on earth father? What what, what was the significance of that? Why was he so upset with the Corbin of the Pharisees? Where, where he condemned them because the Corbin of the Pharisees was actually making the word of God to none effect. Well, those who listen to us regularly probably have a little bit of an idea about that. But how is that awakening the Holy Spirit? How is that leading you to eat of the tree of life instead of the tree of knowledge? Because the information that we have shared on what Corbin was and why he said, call no man on earth father. And why he said we were not to be like the, you know, the apostles who were going to be appointed a kingdom were not to be like the the princes of the nations, other nations who exercise authority one over the other, but call themselves benefactors. They were not to be that way. What's he talking about? What's he saying? Why was he condemning the Pharisees because they were not attending to the weightier matters? And what were those weightier matters? So we have shared that information in many past recordings and many articles and I've upgraded numerous, numerous articles uh, in the last week or so and added more uh, to our studies in Philippians and our studies in uh, Galatians and Ephesians and uh, uh, improving the links and expanding the links to other articles so that you can do what? Eat of the tree of knowledge. Because all those web pages, all those links are over there in the tree of knowledge. 
But that's not what I want you to do. I don't want you to eat of the tree of knowledge. I give you knowledge so you can see that the knowledge that you had before that you put so much faith in is not true. That what you, you do not want to put your faith in knowledge and information. You want to put your faith in the spirit of life. That, that thing that has caused life to exist almost everywhere on this planet. I mean, you can go up to the Arctic and, uh, and down under the frozen ice and you look there and you say, oh my gosh, there's kind of a pink color down there. What, what is that in the ice that looks almost pink? Just little shades of pink under the ice. It's actually living creatures living in that frozen wasteland. You can go down to the volcanic vents deep down in the ocean that are dark and black where light does not even get. And there by those vents, life. Plants growing that can't grow anywhere else. But they have found a way to exist and live by those volcanic vents way down there in the bottom of the ocean. Go out in the middle of the Sahara Desert and you'll find plants living actually under the sand sometimes that are hundreds of years old. How is that possible? How do those things evolve to live in such harsh environments? And why, no matter where you go, you find living things on this planet? But you go to Mars, you go to Venus, you go to the moon, and they're struggling to find even the remotest particle of life in those places. So what's going on here that's not going on there? Well, obviously, you know, you could say, well, temperature differences. Well, guess what? There are temperature differences between <laughs> the Arctic and uh, the Sahara. And uh, because of light, sunlight, well, what's going on at the bottom of the ocean by those volcanic events? Uh, events? What's going on where you actually find in uh, lava caves? that were totally sterilized by molten lava, and that yet you find uh, microbial life living in there that can only live in there. And, and and so how is all this taking place? I mean, we had this oil spill down in the Gulf of Mexico, and everybody, oh, the end of the world as we know it, everything's going to die out, and everybody was, you know, uh, talking about, well, we only have like six months or a few years, and... The oceans will be all poisoned and contaminated because this unbelievable oil spill is spreading out over the ocean. And it was a disaster, but it disappeared. What happened? How did it disappear? Well, some guys had an idea that someday that we would have these oil spills. And they had gone and uh, uh, began to find... um, bacteria that eats oil that breaks oil down that actually devours oil and actually you can find bacteria that devours plastic and uh, breaks it down and uh, you can actually find bacteria some of the most carcinogenic substances known to man which uh, one of them is classified as uh, one of the parts uh, a residue it's a, a dioxin that's found in Agent Orange, and when they manufactured Agent Orange, those dioxins, uh, the byproducts, were dumped out here in the county near where we live, 
it's not real near, but it's a big county. But, you know, it's a very toxic area. Lots of people I know who've lived in the area have had cancer and uh, uh, birth defects. And uh, it's a it's considered one of the most toxic spills in America. But they don't put it high up on the list because there's hardly anybody living there. Those people don't count, evidently. So they say there's a low exposure rate. But the reality is there's bacteria that can break down those dioxins and devour them. And so uh, there is a way to deal with that, that toxic spill and add to it. But back to the oil spill that was out in the middle of uh, the Gulf of Mexico. It disappeared. They they were never allowed to. They had this bacteria in, you know, cube form that they had developed and they said well we'll go out and disperse these bacteria uh over the uh, ocean and it will begin to break down this oil spill so it won't go all the way across the ocean and and destroy humanity which is some of the predictions that were out there and they were not allowed to do it uh oh they were just you know agencies of the government wouldn't let them go out and do it but nature will not be thwarted. So nature destroyed the oil spill. The bacteria that eats that was found wandering around out there in the ocean in small little tiny amounts. But when the food source was made available for them, they bloomed and they broke down those toxins one after another and eventually they dissolved them away. Now, there was still a disaster because it was a huge... uh, amount of uh, oils being pumped into the water but now you don't hear anything about it hardly at all it's just all gone out of you know one disaster was going to end the world and it didn't and now we have global warming going to end the world you know we got 12 years left i guess 11 and a half years left now (laughs) so and the world as we know it will be gone because of global warming same predictions were wandering around back in the 20s and 30s that global warming was going to destroy the world. And by the 70s, we were worried about an ice age. And that was going to destroy the world. We were going to have an ice age and and people would be starving everywhere. Now, the truth is, all those things are going to happen one way or another, at one time or another, because they've happened before. We've had global warming. We've had global cooling. uh, We've had several many ice ages. And... Thousands, millions of people died because of them. Uh, we had uh, the Kerrigan effect, uh, the or incident, whatever you want to call it, uh, that occurred back in the 1800s. That if that occurred today, it would wipe out the electronic grid in America. Uh, it some places might. It depends on the intensity. It might survive, but predictions are is that 90 percent. Uh, they actually say 90% of the world, but 90% of the United States population would be dead after the first year. But again, those are predictions. Like I said, the oil spill was going to end the world as we know it, and all life was going to perish and, and all these things, and it didn't happen. And so if if you lost all power in the United States, what would happen? Well, if you if they still had power in the Soviet Union and uh, China, that might not be very good for us. Uh, we might be calling them up for help and aid, and they would be coming here. And then before you know it, they might think an evil thought, 
which those of you who are good students of the Bible would know exactly what I'm quoting there. And they would decide to take a spoil because we would be very vulnerable at the time. Is that going to happen? I'm not going to say. I, how could I say? How would I even know such a thing? But uh, the reality, all kinds of things and disasters can happen. But if you're going to be eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong, you're going to be vulnerable to all those strange things that could happen. And But if you're eating of the tree of life, there are two things that will happen. One is you will have an insight into whatever is going to happen. You will have a personal insight into what you personally need to do about it because what you need to do about it may be different than what I need to do about it. But if you're hooked into the tree of life, whether you find yourself down at... In, in the volcanic vents of <laughs> the sub uh, oceans, the deep oceans, um, you will survive because you will be plugged into the tree of life and it will show you a way in which you can survive. It will actually alter things in you to allow you to survive. It will heal things in you that otherwise would not be healed. Because you're tapped into the tree of life and not just the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So even though we give out lots of knowledge, lots of information for free. Somebody called me this last week and I, I, I'm still not, not sure whether he wanted to pick my brain or whether he wanted me to sit and listen to him tell me everything. Uh, but the reality was he did not have the spirit of life in him. Uh, he had the spirit of vanity in him. And uh, in this world, vanity has become a virtue and humility has become a vice. And the truth is, is that humility is the virtue and vanity is the vice. And what I'm trying to do in your hearts, I want to see you turn your that world of vanity upside down and seek humility and realize you don't know what the answer is. And so I give you information that is contradictory to the delusion that you have accepted. And so I'm at, uh, by the very nature of my ministry, I'm attacking your delusion, something my daughter keeps reminding me, psychologists say that you're not supposed to do. But I, I often subconsciously attack your delusion <laughs> by giving you information that you did not otherwise have and explaining some of these quotes in the Bible. But unfortunately, many people go back to what makes them feel comfortable, which is why uh, the ear-tickling ministers are making so much money. Because there's a lot of money in tickling your ears. I, I can't do that by my nature. I cannot do that. Because I don't want to see you perish. I don't want to see your children perish and your grandchildren perish. I don't want to see your name wiped off and out of the book of life. I want it written in the book of life. So I'm going to be challenging a lot of the things. Well, first thing I'm going to do, and, and then we'll get into some discussion of health issues, uh, national health issues, world health issues, uh, and some of the misinformation that floats around and how that misinformation can influence you in the wrong direction. 
But we're going to look at something. We're going to come back to this. But in Luke 5, 11, it says, When they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. And it came to pass when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who, seeing Jesus, fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Now, how did this guy know that? We don't We don't have any history. Did the guy hear about Jesus ahead of time? I mean, he didn't see him on YouTube or anything. So, evidently, somehow or other, this guy knew that Jesus had the power to heal him. Nobody else seemed to understand that Jesus had such powers available to him. But it's like the woman who went up and touched his garment. She knew that if she touched his garment, she would be healed. And he felt the energy go out of him. They called it the virtue. That's the way it says in the in the text. Went out of him and healed her. He didn't make a conscious choice to heal her. He just felt that healing moving from him to her. But anyway, that, so I only mention that so that you can see that there's something going on here that is not well understood by most people, especially most people in churches. If you're being healed by ministers who are up there ranting and raving and shouting and waving their arms and getting the crowd worked up, that's not Christ. That isn't the way Christ did it. So that don't be fooled by those healers. That's a different kind of healing. That's a different kind of life that you're getting from those ministers. Don't trust those ministers. That's not the way it works. So anyway, uh, verse 13. He says, And he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. Well, didn't he get a big crowd and start ranting and raving about uh, God going to heal you? And No. He just touched him and said, I will that thou be clean. Wow, that's, that's a different kind of healing. Something else is going on there that's different than what you see in a lot of these healing ministries. And he charged him to tell no man. So, there's evidently witnesses to this, but he's not making a big deal out of this. He says, but go and show thyself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing according to Moses, as Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Unto who? To the priest. So, he's sending this leper, who's no longer a leper, as an emissary to the priests. What the heck is he doing? Why is he doing that? And it goes on to say, and later in other verses, we'll see that the priests and and what appears to be lawyers, doctors of law, are there. Uh, but here he says, uh, much more he went uh, fame abroad with the multitude and everybody came to him to be healed. And he left and went to the wilderness to pray. Why? What was, why did he go to the wilderness? He withdrew himself. Why did he go to the wilderness and pray? We'll be back to find out. So, welcome back to the keys of the kingdom. So, in Psalms 98 2, it says, The Lord hath made known his salvation. His righteousness hath he openly showed 
in the sight of the heathen. Well, anybody who doesn't eat of the tree of life is a heathen. They can call themselves a Christian. They can call themselves a Jew. They can call themselves an Israelite. They can call themselves all they want. But if they're not eating of the tree of the life of God, they are a heathen. And that tree of life, again, is equated with the Holy Spirit. In Luke 2.15, we see, And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. So, evidently there was some divine influence where something of a spiritual or physical nature informed these shepherds that something was going on in Bethlehem that they needed to go and see. And so they did. Now, we we don't have a very clear picture of these shepherds and what they were doing and why them, why not other shepherds, how were they picked out, how was that particular leper to know that we talked about earlier in the show, how were they to know, or was he to know, that Jesus could heal him? Did he read it in a book? Did his pastor tell him? Somehow he knew this. And this is, you make choices in your life that draw you near to the truth, to the light, to the life. And you make choices in your life that draw you away from the truth and the light. You know, just like, you know, in, in the modern stories, we, we have all these modern movies and stories, and they're actually a reflection sometimes of the truth. And if you listen closely, people get insights into the truth. They write some movie about it, some story about it. And so you got... Yoda telling Luke that anger draws him into the dark side. Well then, if that's true, then forgiveness, does that draw you into the light side? <laughs> so, <laughs> And so these are very simple, basic things of common sense or maybe logic or, you know, you, if you, if you're very intelligent, if you have a high IQ, you may be able to start seeing these patterns in life, in stories, in the Bible, and you start connecting the dots. You know, I heard somebody who was all upset about this uh, attack on uh, this fellow named Smollett, who uh, claimed that he was attacked by two white people wearing mega hats. And then now it ends up, you know, everybody got up in arms and they're all upset, and the woman was yelling, connect the dots. And she was very angry. You could see that she was very angry. And she's angry about other things. I won't go into all that or name or anything. But I could see the anger. You could you could see it coming through her, you know, young complexion. But the anger was there because if you only see with spiritual eyes, you know, the, 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 the evil can appear as an angel of light. But if you're seeing with the eyes given to you by the tree of life, you will see other things going on you you will hear other things going on you will see other, you will see more dots and connect more dots but it ended up that Smollett was completely lying uh, 
And so all these people really kind of had egg on their face. But like I said, in a world where uh, vanity is virtue and humility is sin (laughs) or a vice, then you're not going to be saying, oh my gosh, I was wrong. You know, I believed his story. I believed his tears when he was being interviewed. He was making the whole thing up. He paid guys to attack him. And this is is pretty well uh, proved now. I mean, they got videos of the guys buying this stuff. <laughs> and they, they tracked those guys back to the same place where Smollett lives. He was friends. They were friends. They, they set this whole thing up. And that itself, that event and that, that, uh, police report, those are hate crimes. And, and since that story came out, People who are conservative, I don't know if they were wearing red hats or anything, they've been physically attacked by people because it worked people up into anger. But all these events, whether, you know, you're on the left side or the right side, all that dialectic is not on the side of righteousness. I mean, there might be some righteousness in everybody, but it's the tide that turns, that moves you towards the dark side towards evil, towards doing evil things. And so, how do you get in the tide of Christ, in that flow of Christ? And of course, it's the Corbin of Christ that makes the Word of God to effect. If the if the Corbin of the Pharisees makes the Word to none effect, then the Corbin of Christ makes the Word to effect. So what's Corbin mean? Sacrifice. So, sacrifice, anybody who tells you sacrifice has been done away with, they're, they're wrong. Sacrifice has not been done away with. It's still absolutely required. Now, the sacrifice of, you know, piling up stones and, uh, killing sheep and setting them on fire, that was done away with. But of course, that was never the intention, according to the Old Testament. If you read it in the Spirit. But if you don't read it in the Holy Spirit, if you read it by the knowledge of men, by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you might be fooled and not seeing the righteousness of God's way. And you will replace the righteousness of God's way with mindless rituals and rites that have nothing to do with righteousness and have everything to do with vanity and pride and arrogance. And all those things that lead you to the dark side of the universe. The side where the light of God is blocked out by evil, heathens, whoever those heathens are. But anyway, so back to uh, Jesus Christ and healing. How do, how do we bring this healing power into our life? And there's a lot of people, you know, diet can be very important to you and to, to your physical body. Let's put it that way. Obviously, if you're eating, you know, I could, I could feed you stuff that you could go down and buy at Costco and it will affect you mentally almost immediately. Go eat a Costco cake, <laughs> a whole Costco cake <laughs> with thick frosting. That's going to affect your mental state, your physical state, your 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 whole body. You know, go drink a fifth of whiskey. It's going to affect you in a detrimental sort of way. 
But those are extremes. You know, obviously, I mean, who would sit down and eat an entire Costco cake? Who would sit down and drink an entire fifth of whiskey and actually be able to get through a fifth of whiskey? So people say, well, I just drink a little bit of whiskey. You know, and then, of course, then we figure where where you're drawing those lines. Or I just eat one little piece of the Costco cake. That's that's a rationalization on these things. and But that's all coming. The rationalization is all coming from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, God is reasonable. Everything over there on the tree of life side is reasonable. Sometimes it will appear to be miraculous where somebody just reaches out and touches a leper and he's healed or or somebody who's been sick all their life with a bleeding disease reaches out and touches the hem of Jesus' garment and and they're suddenly healed. You know, that that we say that's miraculous because it's outside of the law of nature. I'm telling you it's not miraculous. It's natural in the kingdom. It's it's not natural out there in the kingdom of the world, but in the kingdom of God, it is natural. It is the way things work if we work according to the way that God intended man to live. If man lives according to the image of God, according to the character of God, according to the name of God, the characteristics of God, miracles are natural. It's only supernatural when you are in your fallen nature. It's all by comparison. So anyway, recently I've heard a great deal about vaccinations and about, uh, oh, even fluoride. You know, that like there's a lot of information coming out about fluoride. There. See, uh, Joseph Marcola said, I think, uh, September 21, 2017, which is not that recent. I mean, it's not that long ago. But he says at, at at present, which was December 2014, a total of 42 human studies have linked moderately high fluoride exposure with reduced intelligence. And over 100 animal studies have shown that fluoride exposure can cause brain damage. Now, if you were to check this out on, you know, fact check with Snopes, they will say that that's false. They're actually saying that's false because they're saying that that's misleading. Well, that's just a little tiny little snippet. And, I mean, even in that article that on Snopes, they equate Joseph Marcola with Alex Jones. Well, Joseph Marcola is not Alex Jones. They are two different people. Now, I will admit that Joseph Marcola has a certain amount of uh, mercantilism in his operation. I think he, he genuinely cares about the health of other people, but he's making money off of the products that he sells and everything, and I don't have any objection to that. But like I said, I think he's genuinely concerned about the health of people. I don't want people to consider him Moses or anything, but what he says here is not factually incorrect. It is a limited statement. It's not a peer-reviewed paper. If you want the peer-reviewed papers and studies, I mean, you can go to, there's a Harvard study. IQ variance presented in the Harvard study still stems from exposure to extremely high levels of fluoride. So, go back to the statement of Marcola when he says moderately high fluoride exposures. What's What do we call moderately high? There's no numbers attached to that. 
statement. It's a short little brief statement. We have to read more to find out what's moderately high and what's extremely high. Extremely high, moderately high are all relative statements. Relative to what? What's low? What's, you know, in, in mother's milk, there's tiny little amount of fluoride in nature. Even though she might be drinking lots of fluoride in her water naturally, her breast milk is going to only have a tiny little bit of fluoride in it. You know, and that may change if she has extremely high a source of fluoride in her water. But uh, generally speaking, that would be, that tiny little amount would be a natural amount. And the reality, but we'll we'll go into some of this other stuff. There's EPA maximum allowable, uh, allowable limits of fluoride in drinking water is uh, four milligrams per liter with a voluntary uh, recommendation of two milligrams uh, per liter. That's their recommended amount. Their legal amount, I think, was four. And these these figures are actually subject to change because they're talking about lowering it. Their target concentration of fluoride in water is 0.7 milligrams per liter. So those are the numbers. Four is maximum. Two is is recommended voluntary recommended amount but 0.7 which is a fraction of the two is what they're targeting and there's actually a lot of talk about lowering that to 0.5 and this is because they're fluoridating water supposedly to strengthen your teeth and and I use word I threw in the word supposedly that's that's what they're saying that's what they're suggesting the reality is you do not have to drink fluorinated water to strengthen your teeth. As a matter of fact, there is absolutely... If you were to drink fluorinated water with a straw where it didn't hardly even get near your teeth, it would do absolutely nothing for your teeth. Ingesting the water, swallowing the water... I mean, like, if you eat your toothpaste, is that going to strengthen your tooth? <laughs> no. Because fluoride, for for the point of strengthening the enamel on your teeth is only a value if it's touching your teeth. It has to, So if you had fluorinated water and you put some of it in your mouth and swished it around for a minute and then spit it out, you would do more for your teeth if, than if you drank 10 gallons of fluorinated water. Because the fluoride will strengthen enamel as a matter of a chemical reaction only on contact. If it goes down into your stomach, it's not going to do your teeth any good whatsoever. And there is a thing called fluorosis that actually can cause crippling and will lower your IQ. There's absolutely no doubt that excessive amounts of fluoride will lower your IQ as long as well as a lot of other things. And they've done numerous studies in China that have proven this. And they've done studies other places. I just mentioned the Harvard study. Uh, there was a study down in Mexico. I mean, the Chinese studies are numerous and they're quite extensive. And they were doing this because they were finding natural fluoride in water because of the water percolating through deposits where there's lots of fluoride. And they were actually measuring fluoride and iodine. And uh, there was a zoo study. Uh, there was a Yang study. There was a Jing study, so the, and a Hong study. There were and these were over a period from 1994 to 2001 to uh, even uh, other studies. 
have come out since then that show, and these are over a period of time, that excessive amounts of fluoride do lower IQ. Well, now, that, now what does that mean? If you if you look at the study itself, which most people don't go and read the studies, I actually went and read some of the studies, and what they're that you have to have a control group in order to make a study. The control group is receiving fluoride in the water to the equivalent of 0.5, 0. 0.7, 0. 0.8 in, in those areas. And the people who are the receiving large amounts of fluoride and other chemicals are in this because it's, you know, like iodine are in this. So it's difficult to sort out what was caused by the iodine because it was inflammation of the thyroid that's probably associated with the iodine and uh, fluoride. And it could be a combination of the two. But the point is, is their control group was what people are trying to put in your water in your local town. So that study doesn't tell you whether 0.7 has a, an effect on your IQ or your health in some other area. And then the study is what? It, covering kids? You know, I mean, there was, there was a study, as, uh, CNN even reported this. Nadia Kwanang wrote an article, Fluoride Exposure in Utero Linked to Lower IQ in Kids Study. And that, what they did is they went to areas of Mexico where there's naturally occurring fluoride. Now, naturally occurring fluoride is different than the fluoride they're putting in your water. The fluoride they're putting in your water is actually industrial waste fluoride for the most part. That's where they're getting it. Because they, it's illegal to dump it in the ocean, so they don't dump it in your <laughs> drinking water. <laughs> so, anyway, now I don't want to get into a conspiracy nut on fluoride. What I'm going to try to show you is how, how this thinking is affecting the way in which you look at the world in general. We're just using this as a backdrop for the study because what I'm saying is that if you're listening to the Holy Spirit and following according to the Holy Spirit, you're going to be automatically protected from the toxicity of fluoride in your drinking water. And we're going to, we're going to even look at vaccinations before we're done with this series. But in Mexico, they did a study taking 300 mothers and their children in Mexico and tested the children uh, twice for cognitive development over a course of 12 years. So it's an extensive study. You know, it's only 300 women, but and also, this is naturally occurring fluoride. And the study uh, found a drop in scores on intelligent tests for every 0.5 milligrams per liter increase in the fluoride exposure beyond 0.8 milligrams per liter. Now, what did I just say? And also, this is 0.8 milligrams per liter found in urine samples. So, th- there's no way to judge how much fluoride somebody is consuming when they're drinking water unless you test the water ahead of time and measure the amount of water that they're actually consuming because some people drink more water than others you can drink a lot more water than you need and so the way they tested it was the amount of fluoride they found in the urine which is not a perfect way to to determine this but the interesting point of this is is that they started at 0.8 And they're testing these kids from 0.8 and every 0.5 milligram increase over 0.8. So that would be 1.3 milligrams. There's a drop 
in IQ. So if you go to, you know, add another five, so it's two point or one point eight, then there's another drop in IQ. So very small increases will drop IQ. Well, nothing in this test talks about the drop in IQ that may have already taken place when you started at point eight, because there's no group that is receiving point two or point three that they're comparing this to. So, I mean, that may be too scientific for a lot of people to follow. But the point is, is that you don't know if small amounts, because there, there's nobody doing the test on small amounts. And there's a certain amount of ethicalness to do it once you were to find this out. But again, my my point is that if you're seeking the kingdom of God, to some degree, it won't make any difference. But anyway, it goes on to talk about conclusion that childhood exposure to fluoride is safer. This is the the conclusion than the prenatal because they found the more exposure to prenatal and infant, you know, small children, which is when the brain is developing, the more damage is done. So, you know, pregnant women aren't supposed to drink alcohol or smoke cigarettes or do all kinds of things. Are they supposed to be drinking fluoride water? <laughs> so, and why are you adding fluoride to the water? They say, well, it improves the teeth. Well, yeah, but isn't that a health choice of the individual? You could buy fluorinated water or you could buy little tablets that you put in fluorinated water. And you can, you, I mean, personally, I think you should be making your own mouthwashes and your own toothpaste because I don't think the products that are on the shelf for the most part are really very healthy for you. But uh, if you were in a network of people that were doing this testing themselves with the Spirit of Christ in them, you would be coming up with, you know, this is really what you ought to do. This is really what would be healthier for you. And we may start a series of programs. I have some people that are extremely knowledgeable in these areas, far more than me even. Uh, I should just say far more than me. I don't need to add the even. And hopefully we'll share some things. But Again, that's all from the tree of knowledge. What you want is the tree of life because the tree of life will not only tell you what to do for you, it will give you the power to do it. It will give you the inclination to do it. It will guide your footsteps in life. So ultimately where we're going with this is not to get everybody to be paranoid about fluoride, but to get you to be in love with the tree of life and willing to eat of the tree of life which will not be easy for some of you because knowledge of the truth includes knowledge of yourself. You have to see yourself as you really are. You have to see the truth about yourself. All the painful, hidden away traumas in your own heart and, and forgive those who traumatized you and brought you to the point of your present state of mental and physical status and there's a there's another article about uh by ken perot and i thought it was interesting i've read i don't know how many of these articles now and he says yet another fluoride iq study and one thing i noticed right away you can almost hear the spirit that these people are talking about you know he he makes reference more than once to uh, claims by anti-fluoride propagandists which he, he he's puts 
somebody who's against fluoride being added to the drinking water of 350 million Americans is, uh, if they're against that, they're, they're evidently a propagandist. They're not scientists. And I see this in several other articles where, you know, they tried to put people down because of, uh, you know, what publications these are coming in and everything. But anyway, it says uh, the meta-analysis does confirm. Actually, he has a typo in here in his conclusion. The meta-analysis does confirm that there may be a problem with reduced intelligence in children and areas of endemic fluorosis. Well, it, it doesn't say may. It says there is. <laughs> but anyway, we're we're going to look into this really quick a little bit more in depth on this fluoride issue, but then we're going to get into the vaccine issue. But what we're really going to get into is the Holy Spirit and how you can connect. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're going to finish up on this idea of uh, fluoride and uh, in in the water. And again, I'm not I'm not trying to create paranoia in people that, you know, that we all become anti-fluoride and anti-fluoridation people. Uh, it's very clear that fluoridation in drinking water uh, may incidentally strengthen teeth, or at least the enamel on the teeth. But the suggestion is, is that it may have long-range other side effects besides IQ lowering. There is no question that uh, fluoride in drinking water uh, where that is being drank by women in utero who are, are are pregnant can decrease the IQ of the child. I mean, the the studies show this. If you go anything, you know, if you add 0.5 fluoride to the drinking water of uh, of somebody who would normally have 0.8, then there, there is evidence that there is a decrease in the IQ intelligence of that child for every 0.5 increase. Now, the adding of fluoride to drinking water in the United States is trying to get to 0.7, but nobody's done a study that I have found where you have a control group with 0.2 or less, and then you add up to 0.7, did that, does that cause a decrease in the IQ of the child? <laughs> you know, nobody's, nobody's done that study. And then there are all kinds of other multiple factors. They know that the environment in the home, uh, the environment, uh, and the intelligence of the, the parents, you know, and their educational level all can affect IQ. And, but they also know that you can have a child in a home that with all the factors that should show a lower IQ and they actually have an extremely high IQ. So there are evidently other factors. We're just talking about trends. But my point is, is that when you read these articles, like the, the one article points out that uh, a peer-reviewed journal on fluoride, a publication of the International Society of Fluoride Research Incorporated, which is anti-fluoridation group, they, they when they refer to the reviewed peer reviewed journal they say allegedly peer reviewed journal they don't just say peer reviewed journal or you know but they put in the word allegedly so that it has a tendency to get the reader to doubt this journal and the reality is it is peer reviewed but what does peer reviewed mean 
It means some people have reviewed it who would be considered peers in this area of fluoridation. Now, they further try to discredit the publication by saying anti-fluoridation groups whose editor-in-chief is a psychiatrist in private practice and who has no credentials in the study of fluoride. Well, no, but he's evidently an intelligent guy and he's in private practice. He's not, he's probably not getting paid as editor-in-chief. Uh, because there's no money in trying to make this publication available to people. There's not a lot of money. But there is a lot of money in getting thousands of water districts all across the country to buy fluoride, which is illegal and costs a lot of money to dump anywhere else that is a byproduct of industrial uh, processes. We don't produce as much in some areas that we used to produce because of the fact that a lot of our steel industry and other industries that produce fluoride have gone overseas. <laughs> anyway, the point is, is that obviously uh, they're attempting to downplay the fact that it is unquestionable that if you increase the amount of even natural fluoride in water, especially to women who are pregnant, as well as infant children, there's a decrease in the IQ. That doesn't say anything about the rest of the health of the body or setting you up for... There could be other beneficial effects that we don't know. We know that there is absolutely no reason to swallow fluoride water that we know of to improve uh, dental health. It's a topic, graphical addition to the teeth. It's only when that fluoride is touching the teeth that it can actually harden the enamel. And so, does this mean everybody should go to drinking bottled water if you're in a town where there's fluorinated water? Well, not necessarily, because bottled water may have all kinds of contaminants. All bottled water is not created equally. Bottled water it comes in plastic containers, and there's a, a problem with plastic containers creating artificial hormones or what would appear as hormones in your body that can actually cause an effeminizing of male children. But again, my contention is that if you're eating of the tree of life, you'll know what the answer is. You don't have to read 10,000 studies on the subject. It's fine. Maybe, Maybe the Holy Spirit will guide you to read some of these studies and look into these things in greater depth. But what I'm pointing out is that there's a lot of prejudice because what happens, they've already done fluoride, adding fluoride to your water for, well, not a hundred years, but for a long time now, decades and decades, they've been adding fluoride to your water. And now to suddenly find out that we have lowered the IQ of millions of children (laughs) by the adding of fluoride, as well as other emotional things that it may cause, because, I mean, it... You know, there, it's not added to a lot of water in Europe and, and other places because of the fact that the, it was actually considered to be used for making the people more docile by adding fluoride to the water. But it can actually, if you have fluorosis, it can actually cause all kinds of bone problems and teeth problems as well. But the reality is, is that the, a lot of these different problems that it can cause will vary from individual to individual because people are individuals. And so the reality is these choices should be left in the hands of the individuals because the 
people should not be the property of the state. This is something I'm going to hopefully do a great deal more on is the uh, is that original quote. You find it in one of my first books. And it was Cecil B. DeMille's at the beginning of the movie, Moses, was, are men the property of the state or are they free souls under God? This battle still continues throughout the world today. If the state thinks that they have the right to medicate you or medicate your teeth or medicate your children, they have that right because they have more authority than the natural fathers over the life of the children, then I got a problem. And you got a problem because that's making the state your father. They think that they have the right to do this. And they say, well, poor people, which is a condescending thing, won't take care of their teeth unless you put this fluoride in their water. And the reality is that if poor people were seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we would be coming up with solutions that can help your teeth and your health and your well-being and your IQ and everything else because we would live in a society where it was required if you want to survive in this society you had to love your neighbor as yourself you had to sit down as Christ commanded in small intimate groups of love and charity to take care of one another and the needs of your society in faith hope and charity rather than give power to men to exercise force and force their medication down your throat and your drinking water. So you get the picture. If you won't sit down with love and charity as Christ came to do and tend to the weightier matters, which I haven't mentioned what they are, but I have lots of articles and and audios explaining what they are, then expect a dictator who's going to force his medication down your throat. Which brings me to the second topic. Because they're not just forcing the medication down your throat. They want to force vaccinate you and all your children. Now, I'm not going to go into all the details of why vaccines may not work all the time. The side effects to vaccines that can actually cause more than just a drop in IQ can actually... Now, can vaccines cause autism? Well, whatever is causing autism in the United States and in the world today, we should be really trying to find out because it's pandemic. The amount of autism. Thousands and thousands and thousands of children are being becoming severely handicapped with autism. I mean, there's different degrees of that handicap. And actually, I've seen some people who are autistic who actually have achieved great things in spite of their autism. And this is, you know, and to tell you the truth, the reason they achieved what they achieved is because of love and compassion. So that that there is a cure for the detrimental effects of society upon your children and your children's children. And that cure is found in love. But that love needs to be cultivated in every aspect of your life, in the welfare of your society. And that's what Christ came to do, is show you how to do that. Now, you know, in my notes here, I've got a few different things. I mean, I could go on and on about this for days and days, but we're just going to get through it really quick because we want to get 
to the spiritual answer that overcomes these problems that I see rising up. Minnesota has just filed the strictest vaccine mandate bill in the nation, which is SB 1520, passed the House. Uh, it removes the conscientious exemption, which includes religious exemptions, to any vaccine the state thinks your child should have. This law would apply to all daycares, public and private, and homeschool families. It would apply to every single child in the state with zero ability for the parents to decide otherwise. So I see people moving out of Minnesota that they're going to have to go somewhere else. Now, if they already had a network of people who loved one another as Christ commanded, they would have help to go somewhere else. They would have people opening their doors and their arms and their homes so that they could move no matter what uh, financial status they were in at at a given point uh, to a state that is less dictatorial, shall we say. That... It's not the only state that's doing that. But anyway, that's SF1520. You can Google it and find out more about that. There is little doubt that homeschooling is an increasingly popular option. From 1999 to 2012, the percentage of students who were homeschooled doubled from an estimated 1.7% to 3.4%. And this is a report from the National Center of Educational Statistics. Uh, while the overall school-age population of the United States grew by about 2% from the spring of 2012 to the spring of 2016, data from 16 states from all four major regions of the nation showed homeschooling grew by an average of about 25% in those states. So you're comparing 2% to 25%. So... And now with uh, forced vaccinations in other states like Iowa, there's there's some bills there. And uh, uh, actually, there's uh, maybe we'll look at some of those uh, going on in Oregon. More and more people are going to try to go to homeschooling. But we just saw in the bill in Minnesota, homeschooling is no refuge for from vaccination. Now, again, I'm not trying to create par- paranoia. I'm not anti-vax. I'm not pro-vax. I'm pro-kingdom of God. I'm I'm a pro-tree of life. I'm pro-Holy Spirit. And each individual needs to be guided by that. I am kind of anti-collective, but I'm not anti in the point that I'm going to fight against the collective. I'm going to turn around and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And Christ was very clear on how to do that. You sit down in the tens, in ranks of 50, ranks of 100, and you start caring about one another as much as you care about yourself. You don't just love those in your little congregational group. Uh, A minister who serves a congregation does not have that congregation. He has the responsibility to serve that congregation, and the best way to serve that is point to Christ and connect them with all the other brothers who are seeking Christ, all the other saints who are seeking Christ, who have left their ship and followed Christ to do the ministry of Christ, 
which is the entire social welfare of the people. It's not just helping out a few widows and orphans here and there randomly. It's actually becoming the entire social welfare in all aspects of health, education, and welfare for a peculiar people who want to live by faith instead of by force. The people in Minnesota who voted for this, they live by force. They live by the sword. They force the contributions of their neighbor. They attend to the weightier matters through force. They don't do it through love. They attend to the health, educational welfare of their society by force. They're not following John the Baptist. They're not following Jesus Christ. They're certainly not following Moses. And they don't know it. Now, I'm not condemning everybody in Minnesota. I got relatives in Minnesota. I got relatives in Wisconsin. I've got, I got relatives all over the place. <laughs> and I'm not, not trying to pick on them, but we need to turn around and think differently. That if we're not, if you're just going to church for a good feeling, because it makes you feel good or you like the sermons or the music is great, that isn't the reason you go to church. You go to church because it's health, education, and welfare. It's the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. But it's a government that operates by love, not by force, not by dictation, dictating to people what they can do and what they can't do. See, you know, some people wanted to get the religious exemption. They want me to write a letter that says that we forbid people to get vaccinations. I have no power to forbid people to get vaccinations. I would not want to make that rule that people cannot get vaccinations if they want to be in our church. I can't make that rule. Or drink fluoride. (laughs) I can't make that rule. I would make the rule that you need to follow the Holy Spirit. How do I know you're following the Holy Spirit? Well, I, I don't know. But there is, I can look at your works. And what's the first work you have to do? Sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. With the intention of being Christ to one another, servants to one another, foot washers for one another, aid to one another, help to one another, blessings to one another. And not just your little local group, but all the other groups that are, you know, I'm just astounded at people who said, Jesus said nothing about a network. And they're students of the Bible. They supposedly read the whole thing from beginning to end, time and time again. But, they did not have eyes to see. <laughs> they, they did not have ears to hear because it's very clear that Christ did say to sit down in what exactly is a network of tens, fifties, and hundreds and thousands. The Lord hath made known his salvation. His righteousness hath he openly showed in the sight of the heathen. But the heathen does not see it. Because he's not eating of the tree of life. The guy who's thumping the Bible and studying the Bible and pages through it always makes me nervous when I see somebody's got a Bible with all this underlining and until almost every line is underlined with one color or another and they got tabs everywhere. It concerns me. Because that looks like somebody eating of the tree of knowledge. That, that it, somehow they think if I read this enough, I will know. No, you will only know by the Holy Spirit. You, you, the, the knowledge of men is not going to make you aware. Now, I'm not, not opposing reading the Bible. I'm not even opposed. I don't underline in it, but I, 
I don't have any rule about others underlining it, but I'm just saying be careful that you're not eating of the tree of knowledge because you may find yourself straining at gnats and swallowing a camel. It's spirit that gives life. So how do we know the spirit is in you? Do you serve others? Do you serve others in a way that strengthens others? It goes on to say in this one report, if the data from these states are representative of what happened in other states during those four years, then homeschooling is continuing to grow in both absolute numbers and as a proportion to the overall school age population. That's great. But uh, you need to, those homeschoolers need to come together in other aspects, not just in education. They need to come together without infringing upon the rights of the individual parents. Uh, And you have to do this not only in schooling and education of your children, but in the health of your children. And so that you become this, you know, like I pointed out when Obamacare and everybody was all worried about Obamacare being forced down our throats. Amish had an exemption from the beginning. Before it was ever even passed, it was written right in that Amish are exempt. Why? Because they were already taking care of one another. So are you taking care of one another? Because Christ commanded that you do. That's what pure religion is. Is doing that through faith, hope, and charity. And this is what just absolutely amazes me. Is all these Christian churches out there. All these supposed Christian pastors out there. All these priests and ministers and reverends and what have you. And rabbis and synagogues. 90% of the care and need of their widows and orphans and and needy of their society is done by the government, not by them. They send them to men who exercise authority one over the other to take care of the needy of their society. They don't do it. They have some token charity out there. You know, they'll start some food kitchen and give out to but that, even that, is is all that giving that they do strengthening the poor? Or just soothing their guilty conscience? Because most of the needy of their society is taken care of by men who exercise authority. To the point where now those men have gotten so powerful that they think they have the right to come into everybody's home. And inject their children with whatever they see fit. And the truth is, they do have the power to do that. The dunamis, as it says in the Greek. And they have the power because you sat and ate with rulers. And Proverbs says, if you sit and eat with rulers and you be a man of appetite, put a knife to your throat because he serves you deceitful meats. Proverbs tells you also to beware of the common purse. The, the people who want to have one purse, you know, socialism. Yeah, to lurk privately for gain. In other words, I, I go to work, but I'm guaranteed this much, whether I do a good job or not. That's socialism. You know, the real world, you're guaranteed to struggle, strive, persevere. But in socialism, you don't have to struggle so much. Somebody else will take up the slack and you're going to be taken care of whether you 
you get up at 6 or whether you get up at 7 or whether you get up at 8 or whether you do a good job or whether you do a poor job, they'll still take care of you. You've taken away the incentive. Now, with capitalism comes a temptation. It it requires that you succeed in order to succeed. Persevere in order to persevere. Strive in order to succeed. That's required in capitalism. But you also have the temptation of being selfish. You may not covet your neighbor's good, but you may be selfish with what you get. That's not going to draw you to the light side, the bright side, the life side. That's going to draw you into corruption. Because you have to come together with the heart of Christ. Christ didn't come to succeed. He came to sacrifice. And so that's why you need to gather together. That's why you need to go to church. But you need to sacrifice for it with others who come together for that same spirit. So you look around the churches you go to. What spirit are they there for? I mean, they're nice people, I'm sure. But are they coming in the name of Christ, the character of Christ? So anyway, in some of these surveys on homeschoolers, it says about 16% of uh, survey respondents now say they started homeschooling to provide religious instruction. But 34% report concern about school environments, such as safety, drugs, negative peer pressure. And so... The amount, the reason that people are homeschooling is not all for religious training. It's only 16%, at least of those who responded, which is not everybody. And I can imagine very clearly that some who did not respond may have, you know, the, if you got, if you included everybody, that you may get a different statistic. But people talk about dissatisfaction with academic instruction. And uh, the reality is we have lots of articles up showing you that they don't teach history anymore. That's why you have so many of your children. I mean, they want to lower the voting age in Oregon now. There's actual buildup. Lower the voting age to 16. You're not even supposed to be smart enough whether to buy cigarettes or not. (laughs) But not only that, but they actually want the children at 12 to be able to decide to start taking irreversible Sex change, both medicines and even surgery, paid for by the state. You get to decide that at 12 now, but you can't decide to buy cigarettes. <laughs> so it's crazy. It's insane. I mean, how do you even reason with that? Kind? And people are writing this up. People with college educations are writing these bills up. Because why? They're eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They're not eating of the tree of life. They can't see the truth. They don't have eyes to see it. We'll be back to Keys of the Kingdom. So anyway, we're talking about, originally we talked about the the studies on fluoride and how people look at them and how they analyze the facts and and now vaccines and how people analyze the facts. And it can be mind-boggling to try to figure this all out. And there really hasn't been adequate studies to determine these things, you know, and they're, they're, they, you point out huge statistical evidence that there is something going on with the increased number of vaccines and the increased number of auto, 
autoimmune problems, autism, etc. And they say, oh, you know, but those statistics are not causation. They don't, they don't prove causation. So evidently you have to see this. Most of what we know in science, we don't, doesn't prove causation. It's, it's based on observation. It's, it's not based on a definite proof of causation, especially when you start getting into microbiology, because you can't actually see all the time what's actually taking place, because one process causes another process, which causes another process, and these are happening in different parts of the body, and so you, you can't always track it. You just see a statistical evidence that there is a correlation. So correlation is not causation, but it's enough to try to save tens and hundreds of thousands of children. And so they say, you know, so they say, no, but if we didn't have these vaccines, we would be all ridden with diseases and and we'd be dying left and right with all these different plagues that have happened over the years. Well, what vaccine cured Spanish flu? How come we don't get Spanish flu anymore? How come, what happened to that? Where, where did that go to? All these people died supposedly of Spanish flu. Even polio epidemics that we had, we, we assume that, oh, because we have the vaccine, we don't have polio anymore. Well, hey, folks, correlation does not prove causation. <laughs> so the reality is, is that there are diseases that come and go. They may still linger around. Uh, for a while, like polio is not quite as simple as the flu virus. So even though Spanish flu is pretty much gone, other flus will take, because flu viruses, they change all the time. And, and you get new ones coming down the pike. And the reality is polio can change too. Uh, tuberculosis certainly has changed. Now we have tuberculosis strains that are not, not as curable as they once were. And so, the the reality is that if you get your immunity naturally, this is one of the studies that came out uh, during the polio epidemic is they found that all kinds of people had a natural polio immunity. They had evidently had been exposed, their immune system kicked in, they developed natural antibodies and they were immune automatically. And the reality is that kind of immunity in a herd environment can actually spread from one to the next. that That's a reality. Vaccinations, they're operating in a different way. Vaccinations actually in, in some diseases can actually endanger people who are not vaccinated because the person vaccinated can still remain a not only a carrier but a contagion that can be carried to other people who have not received the vaccination. So, all the solutions that we come up medically, which are plucked out of the tree of knowledge, may have other detrimental effects farther down the line. It gets very complicated that a lot of people can't follow it. But you can understand love. I mean, autistic children understand it. Uh, other other people who uh, have uh, disabilities, uh, mental disabilities, can still understand love. They can understand loyalty. They can understand uh, patience. And IQ is not the measure of an individual. It's a measure of their, a measure of their intelligent quotient. Uh, because both Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty had high IQs. <laughs> 
One was fighting against criminality and evil, and the other one was the evil. So IQ is what? What's your your MQ? Your morality quotient? Well, if you're not doing what Christ said, if you're not sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands with the intention of becoming a society that is moved by love and and charity, then your morality quotient is way down from what it should be. But anyway, back to SAT. SAT test scores of college-bound homeschool students were higher than the national average of all college-bound seniors that uh, of that same year. Mean Act composite scores for homeschooled students were consistently higher than those of public school students. Although I will say that uh, some private school students scored higher still than the homeschoolers. But then, again, going back and looking, statistics are statistics and they can tell you all kinds of things and they can all kinds of things they may not tell you depending on how they're gathered. When you put homeschoolers into a single homogeneous group, you're going to get different results because there are homeschool parents even my own children have a different approach to homeschooling than each other. And some of them do it differently than we did it because they're experimenting. But I tell you, the key ingredient is the love that you bring to raising your children. That's the key ingredient. That's going to make up a lot of difference in the in the technique. So some homeschoolers believe in unschooling. They they don't have a regular curriculum. They let their kids get by with doing nothing. And yet those kids still often score equal to that of public school kids. But they are lumped in with the parents who go to great lengths of that personal sacrifice needed to homeschool your children. See, again, what's the difference? The unschooler and I don't even want to lump all the unschoolers, the ones who don't believe in any curriculum at all in the home, because they're not all the same either. But it's a lot of times when they're unschooling because they're too lazy to apply a some sort of curriculum to their child's education, then what is actually missing is sacrifice. They're not sacrificing their time. They're not sacrificing their popularity with their kids. They're trying to be a buddy and a friend and be loved by their kids. So they're letting their kids get away with slothful uh, behavior. And they should not be doing that. They should be encouraging and applying and uh, and uh, uh, being there for their children. Be a parent in their child's life. Even when you have the parent who is not sacrificing, the child still generally scores as well as as public school kids on average. But then now we're grouping all public school kids together. Public school kids are not a homogeneous group either. They have parents at home that are part of their education. And in reality, and many times, the kids that are real achievers in school are doing so because they have great parents. But I have seen cases where kids had terrible parents <laughs> at home, terrible home life, and still did well in school, still did well on tests, because it's the individual and their love for what is right or diligence or whatever. And, and it could be a variety of things that give them the drive that they have. So it's, it's, 
just an argument on behalf of the individual rather than the collective. So I don't like putting these people into these different categories. So students with greater exposure to homeschooling, though, and this is another statistic that has come out and been verified, tends to be more politically tolerant. Isn't that amazing? Homeschoolers are more politically tolerant, finding contrary to the claim many uh, of the political theorists have that they think homeschoolers are going to be less tolerant. No, they're actually more tolerant. As a matter of fact, studies further go on. Other studies, studies uh, by the University of Arkansas and the Department of Education Reform find that the more exposure a child has to public schooling, the less tolerant he is. <laughs> so, <laughs> which explains why you see what you see on campuses today that the amount of intolerance of uh, conservative viewpoints is is a direct result of the education that you have been paying for and now you're going to pay for it again because they want to give these intolerant 16 year old children the right to vote why do you think they want to do that because this is this is the danger look at look at what they're doing about voter fraud in the united states we know there's voter fraud rampant voter fraud all over the country the evidence is overwhelming but there are certain segments uh, actually probably both sides of the aisle do not want to fix voter fraud and it's easy to fix fairly easy to at least remedy some of the uh, extensive voter fraud instead we see them passing laws that make voter fraud even easier and now they also want to give the right to vote to illegals they worry about foreign and uh, intervention in their elections, but they want to give it to illegals. And the reason I'm pointing all this is not to try to get you to solve the problems of the world, but get you to seek the kingdom of God. If you seek a ruler who can exercise authority one over the other, that is considered a rejection of God in Samuel 8. If you pray to them for your, you want to eat at their table and get their benefits and their salvation, their security, you're going to have a tyrant. He's going to take and take and take and take and take. I'm just showing you how they're doing it. I'm not trying to say, well, the remedy is is to do away with voter fraud. No, the remedy is to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And one of the things to do that is to gather together. And if you were to gather together as the early Christians were, you'd already be homeschooling. Your individual congregations would gather together and probably create some sort of external association where you could accredit your homeschooling activities so that you have both the protection of homeschooling and the protection of an institution of education that you have created yourselves. But you created it with the Spirit of Christ, so you're not trying to regulate and control every other parent and interfere with their rights. You're trying to protect their rights because you care about their rights as much as you care about your own. This is just basic common sense. But instead, we see uh, states like Iowa, Michigan, Oklahoma, Virginia, uh, the lawmakers and opponents of this individual education calling for tighter restrictions and more intrusive regulations for homeschooling on families by the government. So it's not just Minnesota. It's all over the place. And the reality is, is that, yeah, you can go and you can read the statistics about, you know, 17,000 official reports of sexual assaults by students over a four-year period. 
see if it was about 2011 to 2015, I think it was those statistics. And these are just what's reported, as well as the peer pressure and everything else that goes on in school. So, yeah, you should be homeschooling. But you need need to make the sacrifice of doing that, not only as, as individuals, but as individuals who come together, not by forcing and incorporating, but by uh, by love and by charity. Cultivating the Spirit of Christ in each of you. So, government-run schools are... Uh, academically inferior to homeschooling, riddled with crime and abuse, producing graduates less tolerant than their counterparts who were educated at home. But rather than fix their pet institutions, politicians prefer to grab for power over the people fleeing from their very grasp. So anyway, that's that's where we see what's going on. And we see this kind of indoctrination and confusion and promiscuity, birth control, sex change, voting, vaccinations, and all these kinds of things uh, being permeated in the minds of the individuals. And so now we have this uh, mandatory vaccine battleground against homeschoolers growing more and more in society. There's other, other bills in California. You have the SB 277 that is trying to be intrusive along the same route into the homeschoolers. So, again, the solution is Christ. The solution is the way. That's what Christianity was called. The way. To go this other way. To gather in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Which is why we created the... the we have an email network based on geography. And, you know, most... You know, like the Oregon group includes Idaho and Washington... But if we were to get so many people in it that, you know, very few emails go out on these groups. But they they allow you to connect with individuals who see the overall of the group. And they can connect you with people in your local area. And if you would sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands like Christ commanded, then we could give you access more and more. The fellow who called earlier, which I mentioned earlier in the show, he would not join the group. I said, well, that's the way to get in contact with people that are near you. I know people that live closer to him, far closer to him than me, who would meet up with him and sit down in a copy shop and explain things and, and tell him what he could. But he didn't want to join the group. He just wanted to give me, you know, names and addresses and phone numbers, I guess. I don't know what he wanted. But he would not sit down. Well, you know, if you would not sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands at the days of the loaves and fishes, you don't get no fish, and you don't get no loaves. That's the way it works. We're we're commanded as ministers of Christ that that's what you have to do. We're not. It's not joining some corporation. It's just taking a step in the direction of the kingdom. And if if you continue in that way, and now that's what we'll talk about this afternoon. We'll talk about some of the spiritual walls that will you'll have to overcome or dissolve or do away with you know the spiritual infirmities you know leprosy is which was that guy's infirmity was able to overcome because i i know that that individual i know this even though it doesn't say it anywhere in the text that individual was already overcoming some spiritual walls some uh, spiritual DNA that he had to activate. And then he was able to recognize Christ and call upon Christ 
in order to be that individual who would be healed. And that's why Christ made him a representative. Go and, you know, to the priests and show them. Don't tell anybody else. Just tell them. Why? Because there's something going on there. And so when we see these bills coming out, they should just be kind of a flag waving, you know, HF 272 and uh, HF 182 and all these different bills that are coming out. And and the, the same thing's going on in other places like Australia and Canada and everything else because you're actually dealing with spiritual realities, principalities in high places. They can't see what's going on. They can't see that they have already been drawn into the dark side and that they have become an enemy of righteousness. They think they're self-righteous. They think that they are the righteousness. They think they are uh, the saviors of the people. Some of them. Some of them actually know that they're Orwellian in nature and they're just in love with the power. So it, it... you know, it's again, we can't group them either because <laughs> some of them might repent. You never know. They might turn around and want to go the other way. But right now, you can definitely see this uh, mandatory vaccine. Uh, they already have mandatory fluoride in your water. Of course, you can, like I say, you can go get water from other places. We have people who come here and get water and take it with them <laughs> when they go back home. And, uh, but and and the reality is, if you had a network, you'd know where the good water's at, because your network would all be looking for the same thing. Same thing about food. Where's the good food at? Well, we didn't even talk about GMOs and all the other sources of toxins in society. You know what? What is officially? I just heard that. What was I can't remember the name of the market. I never ever shopped there, but somebody I know shops there. They're not going to label uh, their commodities. Uh, whether they're GMO or not anymore. And uh, there are people who were shopping there. But I have to warn people, because uh, we have very little time left here, that this idea that you're going to figure out exactly what you should eat and what you should not eat and what you should take as an injection and what you should drink and not drink, based on the tree of knowledge, is not the solution. What you need is the tree of life. And to tell you the truth, and I've I've been explaining this to some people recently, that, you know, we talk about, we say grace before we eat. A lot of times people say they bless the food before they eat it. And I, I'm a big one for blessing the hands that made it and the, and the, and the people who consume it, that they may use that energy for the purposes of God. But that's the, that's the mem of that blessing that travels from one to the other. When you make food with the Spirit of Christ, it will bless your family more than the food that you make with impatience and anger and resentment. No matter where you buy it. doesn't matter. But if you are blessing it, you can actually overcome the ill effects of those. And God can take what is toxin and make it non-toxic. Actually make it a blessing. And now that's the spiritual aspect, and we'll talk more about that in the afternoon show. But uh, the reality is is that you need to follow the directives of Christ, the commands of Christ. And there's several words that are translated command in relationship to Christ. And we have a webpage at Preparing You that talks about that. 
And I've actually added a little bit to that because I was discovering some new things, led to discover certain things. I'm not doing this. You know, before I come in and begin this work in the morning, I pray. Just like Jesus went to the wilderness to pray. Because people people will come and they, they think somehow what we're telling you is the solution. No, the Holy Spirit is the solution. And Christ is the solution. Christ sent you the Holy Spirit as his comforter. Because he's not here right now. But his spirit is here in the form of the Holy Spirit. How do you know if you're receiving the Holy Spirit or not? Are you doing what Christ said? Are you doing things the way Christ did them? Or are you doing things some other way? Like I said, they, the guys out there healing with all their antics and jumping around and and big crowds and everything, you know, and taking in the big bucks. Is that the healing of Christ? Because that's not what he was doing. So, doesn't look like Christ to me. Was he charging, you know, huge amounts of money for people to come into uh, big churches and living in multi-million dollar mansions? He was sleeping out there in the Garden of Gethsemane. So, where where do you have guys doing that kind of stuff? Uh, you know, the reality is is that Christ had a different message and most of the churches are not delivering that. They deliver parts and pieces of it because in seeing those parts and pieces, you say, oh, well, this 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 looks good. This looks good. But then what else do you, you know, I mean, the polio vaccine, they, they admit now that the polio vaccine infected people with a cancer-causing virus. By the tunes of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And many of them, I actually know people who have died from that cancer that they got from the polio vaccine. They've admitted this. The AMA has admitted it. The CDC has admitted it. You don't get reparation for that. <laughs> but the reality is, is they, they, they know that the, that is the case. But when they gave it to you in the sugar cube, they put it on sugar because, uh, Sugar cube helps the poison go down. <laughs> so anyway, the reality is, is yeah, and it might give you some immunity to polio. But, you know, we've done shows before on, on the polio epidemic and what was actually instrumental in causing it. And it had a lot to do with diet of the people at that particular time. Uh, the same as the Spanish flu had a lot to do with the way in which people were living at that time. Crowded unclean uh, conditions. And there was a reason why that was crowded. They, they were poor, but they were actually living in these many of these crowded conditions. I've read numerous articles on it in the last month that talking about why they were living in such overcrowded condition. They had enough money to buy a better apartment, but they were living in those conditions to save money so that they could start their own business, which they did, and they got out of poverty. And they weren't in, you know, they they had a plan. Unfortunately, today, many of the young people's plan is that the government's going to give me a student loan. They're going to give me, uh, I'll get this education, and then I'll go out and get this big paying job. And they're finding out that the, the dream is a nightmare. But uh, there's more to the dream. It's an Orwellian nightmare. But uh, there are people waking up. There are people coming together and you need to find them and come together with them. Not to be carried, but to help them carry. Not to be cared for, but to help care for one another. 
so until you're willing to go that way, I'm just going to say peace on your house and may God be with you. So join us on the network, preparingyou.com or hisholychurch.org. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.